the only time you die is when you find yourself on an ambush or that X and you stay on it. If you can find your way off the X, you're gonna be okay. In the business world, I've learned to jump from loss to opportunity very quickly. And the faster you can close that gap by not connecting it to your identity or to your value, the, the easier that, that chasm will be to cross. So how do we get there? Self-work. It's not overnight. It takes five to 10 years of strong self-work to develop into a human being who is connected to consciousness. Um, but it's worth the time. It's that. I mean, you could avoid all the books, all the courses, every Tony Robbins seminar, and just go with, to a therapist and say, this, I finally need to work on this. If you let all of those little insecurities stop you thinking that you're not worthy and you're not good enough, like maybe you're supposed to be the person that solves the next cancer, the next electrical grid problem, the next economic problem. Just get up off your butt, have your insecurities and do it anyway. Hey guys, and welcome to the I Love Success podcast. I'm so excited for this episode. I mean, the last episode I did live, Bedros, was 172 back in my studio in Santa Monica. I think that was March 11th. Uh, after that, there was a shutdown. I started going virtual, so I've done like 70 or 80 episodes virtually, and I actually never, I did, never wanted to do that. Mm. But I, I said, I gotta pivot. So I, I went on a world tour, but now we're back live. Uh, so I'm so excited, guys. This is episode 252. Uh, I have a guest here that you know from the past. If you haven't seen the two other episodes we did, it's 97, where we talk about the immigrant edge and the American dream. Bedros is sharing his journey. Then we launched an episode in towards the end of 2019, which was called Crush Your Goals with Bedros Koulian. It was a great episode, but then the world shifted and, and we, we got to see new things in the horizon. And here we are today, and we're gonna talk about mastering your mindset. I'm here to pick Bedros' brain about what he learned uh, during this past year about health, about love, about business, and, and just being strong when things are tough. Uh, so guys, feel free to kick back, relax. I'm sure that it's gonna be so many great things. If I were you, I would take out my notebook right now and start making notes. So welcome to the I Love Success Podcast. Hey, Bedros. Peter, thank you so much for having me for the third time now. Oh my God, there's, there's not many people that I wanna to talk to three times. <laughs> well, I appreciate <laughs> it, that's a great compliment, so, thank you. Uh, no, just kidding, I mean, I always learn so much from you and I, I have gone back several times to the episode we have done and I always learn something new and uh, I love what you do and how you bring positivity to the world and also thinking about me as an immigrant myself, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't relate to so much and obviously you're further along in the journey than me. So I love being around people like that so I can learn and share that with the world. Sure, sure. And I think that's a great thing you're doing, not only for yourself, but for your audience. Yeah. You know, um, anytime we can get an advantage to be able to see around a corner that's coming up. Like yeah. my first mentor, Jim Franco, yeah. was that person for me. He, he was so far ahead in his success that he would help me see around corners. 
by guiding me, mentoring me, giving me advice and counsel. And uh, I'm glad we're able to do that. Awesome. So let's just dive right into mm -hmm. it. Uh, I want this to be about mindset. So I want to go back to last year and when COVID hit. And during that time, what was the worst time in your business? And how did you feel at that point? So last year when COVID hit, the worst time in my business was probably, if you remember, because you're, you're, you live in California, yeah. if you remember, there was a period of time, we shut, we all shut down March 13, 14, 15. I told all of our Fit Body Bootcamp franchise locations worldwide to shut down for two weeks to flatten the curve. Like that's yeah. what we knew, it was a very bad virus. Um, it was very contagious and we're gonna flatten the curve and do our duty uh, to the communities. And right around, it went longer than two weeks, obviously, yeah. all of March, all of May. And then if you remember, right around mid-June, things started to reopen. It yeah. reopened temporarily. And our Fit Body Bootcamp franchise owners were excited. They were positively motivated that, okay, this is behind us now. And then if you remember what happened, about three weeks of being open, the world shut back down again. Yeah. And that was the worst time for me because it was one of those things where all of our franchise owners, they're entrepreneurs just like I am, but they're newer in their journey than I've been. I've been doing this for 20 years as an entrepreneur. Some of them have been doing it for one or two years. Others have been doing it for five or six years, but they certainly don't have 20 years of history behind them. So they haven't seen other life ambushes. My friend Jason Redman, he's a Navy SEAL, he calls them life ambushes. There's usually, you know, four, five, six life ambushes in someone's life. Could be that, you know, you're pronounced with cancer, a spouse wants a divorce, a car accident, economic crash, or coronavirus. Yeah. And so <clears throat> when you have experienced life ambushes, you know how to get off that X, pivot, reintroduce yourself as a new type of business and move forward. But when you haven't had the experience of dealing with ambushes and you first deal with an ambush, you go, all right, this was it. March to June, that was the ambush, we're done, we're moving forward. And then when you have the wind taken out of your sails that we have to lock down again, that's where the mental resiliency is required at the highest level. Nothing else, not intelligence, not emotional quotient, not a new marketing strategy, mental resiliency that, man, I'm gonna have to shut down again. I don't know when reopening will be, but I'll be okay because I'll just have to repivot again. So that's when we lost the most Fit Body locations. Just to give you an idea, we had 608 Fit Body Bootcamp locations at the beginning of March. Um, between March and early June, we lost maybe 20, 25 locations that decided to permanently shut down. Yeah. From June 20th of 2020 on, we lost about 200 locations because once they felt like we have to shut down again, many of them felt hopeless. Yeah. And the moment we start going into hopelessness and we lose sight of opportunity and hope, there's an internal crisis that takes place. And the internal crisis says, batten down the hatches, shut it down, stop all, all things. And uh, that's what happened for not only for me and my brand, but for many brands. Yeah. So what took place for me mentally was like, holy cow, like yeah. there's a real possibility that my franchise brand will shrink yeah. by at least 50%. 
And I always go through this process, and this is a great mental toughness lesson of, okay, if that happens, do I accept it? And what do I do after? So I said, well, okay, if that happens, do I accept it? Yes, I have no choice, I accept it. What do I do? Wait for the world to reopen and then start building back up. I even went through the process, and this was around September of 2020, saying that if I lose the entire brand, I don't lose my identity, I lose the brand. I'm capable, I have a good mind, I always land on my feet, I can rebuild something different or the brand again. So I even accepted the fact that if you accept the worst case scenario and go, I will still survive and thrive, that gives you a sense of hope. But if, you, if I tied my identity to Fit Body Bootcamp, then Fit Body Bootcamp fail, failing or I guess going out of business would have been me failing. Yeah. So a lot of times we have to understand that an event happening that causes a business to fail or you to maybe not pass a test and therefore fail out of university or whatever, it's not a direct attack on you. It's just maybe you weren't meant to go that path. Now thankfully Fit Body Bootcamp survived and you know we didn't have to, you know, the brand uh, is fine and we retained 65% of our locations and now we're growing again. But it was a very scary time, but I went through my process of, okay, if this happens, do I accept it? Yes. And if I accept it, what's, what do I do after that? Rebuild. Okay. And I shared it with my team. My team was on board with the plan. And I said, guys, even if we lose the whole thing, we have the ability to keep solving problems in exchange for money. Because that's what an entrepreneur does. Yeah. You solve problems in exchange for money. So whether it's solving problems later with another brand or another thing. And in fact, when we weren't selling Fit Body Bootcamp franchises in 2020, because who's going to buy a gym franchise in, when gyms are shut, we grew our supplement company, Truline, by 400% in that year. And so, again, I pivoted to online coaching with Fit Body Bootcamp. And then I pivoted my energy and my marketing to Truline supplements because everybody wanted to improve their health, improve their immune system. And so we created the Wellness Shot, which is our most popular product now for Truline. Um, and, and so it's important to do that. The only time you die is when you find yourself on an ambush or that X and you stay on it. If you can find your way off the X, you're gonna be okay. I love that. And, but how long is that acceptance? Because we see people that are, there are people that can do that like Michael Jordan. He mm -hmm. loses the game winning shot and tomorrow he's the number one scorer yeah. in the next game. And then we see people complaining 20 years after for, for an event, right? And yeah. then there's some people in between. For you, how long was that acceptance and how long did you have to mourn or, or stay down? These days, it's funny, I'm glad you asked that. And, and this doesn't mean that I'm right. My acceptance period is very short. My mourning, so I accept things very quickly now. I mourn very quickly. I'm talking hours, yeah. not days. And then I'm on to the next thing. I, I can emotionally detach from things like that now. How? Well, I do that because I realize that, like I said, when something bad happens, yeah. it's not a direct attack on me, right? So for example, let's say, um, let's say I call Tony Robbins. Yeah. Uh, and I go, hey, Tony Robbins, uh, this is Bedros. By the way, we spoke on stage a few years ago. Um, I got this great idea that maybe you and I can be business partners. And I tell him, he goes, tell me, what is it, Bedros? And I tell him, 
And he goes, Bedros, that's a horrible idea. That's just an awful idea. That'll never work. He did not find value in my idea. It wasn't that he said, I don't find value in you. Because I don't tie my identity and my self-esteem to my business, to my brands, to a dollar amount. Like if I went broke tomorrow, I'm still me. The old version of me, I had my name tied to Fit Body Bootcamp, my identity. I had my name tied, my identity tied to my, my stuff, the watches. I, I, st I have such a big watch collection now. I never wear my watches um, because back then it was a sign of success for me. I made it. I've got you know this Rolex and I've got that Omega and I got this Cartier. Dude, I don't even wear watches anymore because the stuff that I wear is not tied to my identity. Who I am inside is... I'm very different than my possessions or my brands. And so the best way to kind of cope with losing something is don't attach your identity to it. Instead go, okay, maybe it's time that this is gonna get lost or this thing happened and I move on. Now I'm not saying that God forbid if a family member dies that I'm not I'm gonna move on quickly. Like yeah. that's a different level of mourning, a different yeah. level of acceptance. Um, but I bet you, and I hate to say this, and this probably happened during World War II. Um, you know, when the Germans were taking the Jews into concentration camps, you start hearing that, hey, this uncle died, that aunt died, younger brother died, dad died. You have to learn, you get used to accepting it fast. Yeah. When something happens consistently, you develop some level of callous to it, which is the human brains and psyche's way of coping with it, right? Um, but short of that, in the business world, I've learned to jump from loss to opportunity very quickly. And the faster you can close that gap by not connecting it to your identity or to your value, the, the easier that, that chasm will be to cross. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And it reminds me a lot of, I'm a martial artist, as you know, and this is part of the, you know, Bushido, which is the way of the warrior to be completely unattached and have, they call it the mushin, like free mind or no mind, mm -hmm. to be really in the moment. But that takes a lifetime of practice. It does. So how, what do you want to tell to people out there now that are ident their value is their bank account or the value is their title. Like what can you tell to them? They they've struggled. Like they own they own their business. They lost it last year and they're they're home at home drinking right now and they sure. don't know what the next thing is. Sure. And I know that to be very true. In fact, um, three days ago, I last Friday, whatever Friday was, on Friday I called my therapist, uh, Kevin. I think I may have talked about him on yeah. the last couple of episodes we did. When I talked to Kevin, I said, Kevin, uh, I've got a friend who I want to refer to you. I've referred 27 friends, colleagues, etc., to him. He says, Pedros, I've got a three-month waiting list. Okay. Uh, all right, Kevin, is there another therapist that you can recommend that I refer? He goes, Pedros, every therapist right now across the country has a three- to four-month waiting list because of what happened in 2020, yeah. the uncertainties, and how it affected humanity. So think about that. How many people had their bank account, their title, their status tied to their identity where unfortunately this coronavirus crisis 
that went on for a year put them in a place of I'm worthless, uh, I'm drinking, I don't deserve to live, I'm not a good husband, I'm not a good wife, I'm not a good provider. Yeah. None of that matters because the identity should not be tied. Now, it's easier said than done. So how do we go about that? Joseph Campbell wrote a great book called The Power of Myth. In The Power of Myth, he talks about how we are human animals. And our goal is to go from human animal to human being. Human being is someone who lives through consciousness. My body is a vessel, my, wind my eyes are windows, consciousness looks through. I'm a witness, I witness everything through consciousness. To go from human animal to human being it takes effort, takes time, takes practice. So how do we do that? Well, we know that human animals are impulsive, emotional, reactive. Uh, do you have a dog by chance? And no. Okay, so I've got two dogs. Uh, my biggest dog, Cookie, anytime we get her something new, like a new toy, she'll play with it for a little bit, and then she'll lay down next to it with her paw on it. Yeah. Mine. It's hers, right? And if I try and take it, she'll look at me. She'll look at me. Like, hey, this is my possession. An animal is possessive. They are instinctive. I look at it as all of this is transient. All of it. Our relationship is transient. Uh, God forbid, you know, when you leave here, you might get the news tomorrow that Bedros got hit by a bus and died. I hope the time that we spent together was valuable. I hope the time that we spent together was meaningful. Um, everything is transient. And so knowing that, I have to be here in the moment. And so it takes a lot of self-work, self-mastery. It's so interesting that you're here today because today on Instagram, I posted about the greatest work that you could do in your life is the work that you do on yourself the work of self-mastery. Your car comes with an owner's manual. Here's how you operate the windshield wipers. Here's how you turn it on. Here's how often you should change the oil. If you hear this, then this is probably what's happening. We are the most complex, sophisticated creation on this planet. There's no owner's manual. Yeah. And in fact, the people who take care of us while we can't take care of ourselves, transfer their negative feelings about life. Don't do that, be careful, watch out for that. Careful, the bad guy might take you. So now they transfer negative feelings on us. And so when we grow up and we're at that age of you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, we're starting to kind of figure our own way out. One, there's no owner's manual. And two, we've had negative programming. And so when you think about how much of a human animal we are, we have to become self-aware, do the self-work, figure out why we're emotionally reactive, why we respond the way we do to things. And so this is where personal growth and self-development comes in, whether it's Tony Robbins or reading books like Outwitting the Devil, Psycho-Cybernetics, The Big Leap, um, Untethered Love. I mean, going to a therapist and talking about the traumas that happen to you. You know, I think I talked about on your show that I was sexually molested as a, as a child. Yeah. Um, the armor that I wore emotional armor that I wore when I talked to other men for the longest time was very standoffish. Yeah. I was very human animal with them. To me it was because I was molested by two older boys, yeah. all men were the enemy and I couldn't trust other men. And I had to always have one, I, I need to one up you yeah. to be able to show my dominance. I realize now that those two boys that did that to me, they were hurt, they were broken. That probably happened to them. That doesn't mean that Peter is looking to take advantage of me, yeah. right? But it took 
self-development, self-work, for me to realize that Peter is here with good intentions. And until Peter tries to kill me, yeah. I'm just going to assume that Peter loves me and likes me, is here to add value. So I'm going to add value, and together we can add greater value. Yeah. That's human being behavior. For the longest time, until the age of 37, I operated as a human animal because I was reactive, emotional, impulsive. Um, because of all those things, there's no owner's manual. My family, my parents, like most parents, kind of instill their fears and frustrations in you as a child. And then if you've had any kind of abuse, sexual, emotional, mental, you add that on top and you become like a stick of dynamite ready to explode. So how do we get there? Self-work. It's not overnight. It takes five to ten years of strong self-work to develop into a human being who is connected to consciousness. Um, but it's worth the time. Yeah, I love that. And, and I mean, self-mastery, I think that's the most beautiful thing we can do as human beings. And I, I just love spending time working on myself because the dividends are infinite, right? Yeah. It's, it's just unbelievable to feel good about yourself. And I, uh, my wife is a doctor and we talk about there's a lot of people in pain right now. And, and when I see people in pain, you know, I'm driving around, I wake up early, go, usually go out and work out. Uh, this morning I did the stairs in Santa Monica and you see a lot of homeless people already waking up and you see that they're in pain and it hurts me too. So we want to find ways to to find a system to help mm -hmm. that, that could work for many people in order to pull themselves up. Uh, when you look at your life and, and this progress you have done during the last five, 10 years, what is standing out and what are the things that you could be helpful for other people, you think? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I forget, I wish I could give credit to the author who said this, but he said, tell me your addiction and I'll ask you to show me your trauma. In other words, when someone is addicted to alcohol, it's not the addiction to alcohol or drugs or food or gambling or pornography that they have. It's not that, that's not the addiction. The addiction is a means to avoid and ignore some traumatic experience that happened. Yeah. And so what's the best way to do that? To alter our state. Alcohol, drugs, food, um, entertainment, TV, overly consuming TV, social media, etc. Um, pornography, infidelity, gambling, all of that is a way of changing our state and ignoring and avoiding this pain that we're feeling. And so the thing that stands out to me the most was addressing the worst thing that ever happened to you. All of us has, have, have had one bad thing that's happened to us, sometimes two or three, unfortunately. So we dance around this. So if this bottle was the worst thing that ever happened to me, and here there's, you know, hey, me and my wife aren't getting along, and outside here I'm addicted to alcohol, and here I'm eating too much, and here uh, too much pornography, and there I'm gambling. We start uh, trying to address all these things. Yeah. We need to address the core of the problem, right? Yeah. Um, if, if you've got a cut, if I just put a Band-Aid on it and say, Peter, my friend, you're okay now, and you come back a week later, you're like, Pedro, it's, there's pus, there's blood, it's, I didn't clean it out. No. To clean it out is gonna hurt you, no. right? Like, hey, Peter, hold on, man, bite on something, <laughs> because I gotta clean this out. We have to yeah. pour some alcohol in there. 
but you gotta clean out the trauma. And so when Kevin, my therapist, asked me to write a letter to my, to the six-year-old version of myself, and the, he gave me the first sentence of that letter. Uh, Pedros, between the ages of four and six, you were molested by two older boys. But today you are dot, dot, dot. All of a sudden, because remember, I went to Kevin, I guess we need to tell your audience this, that I went to Kevin because I was dealing with panic attacks. Yeah. So I went there saying, hey, help me fix my stress. Yeah. Stress is another way of panic attacks. And, and by the way, it wasn't the stress and the panic attacks. I was working so much intentionally to avoid and ignore the trauma that had happened to me. Because when I'm in peace, when I have quiet time, when my mind is calm, it comes to the surface. I don't want to think about what happened to me. So create a new company, go on stage and speak, do another podcast, create another product. Yeah. Well, that, all of that stressed me out and overwhelmed me and I had, I had anxiety attacks. So I went to Kevin for that. It took four sessions for him to go, hey, well, what happened to you as a kid? Yeah. And I literally started crying. And I wanted to tell him, like, well, I'm not here to talk about what happened to me as a kid. Help me deal with my stress, my anxiety, my panic attacks. But I knew that was the door that I needed to walk through. And so it's having to write that letter to yourself. Like, hey, this is what happened, but that's not your identity. You're not a victim. You're not unlovable. You're not broken. You're not to be thrown out. That's how I felt about myself. I felt unlovable, broken, that I could just be thrown out. Yeah. And so if you walk through life with feeling that way, how can you love someone? How can you support someone? How can you feel like you deserve success? Which is why I constantly self-sabotaged myself. Um, interestingly enough, the last 10 years, magically that's gone. Because I did the hardest work, which was to take four weeks to write one letter to myself. I remember starting it on my iPhone. I didn't like to do them that way. Then I went to my laptop, I didn't like that. Then I started writing with a pencil on paper, I didn't like that, so I switched to a pen. I didn't like that, went back to my iPhone. Writing to myself about specifically what happened, what they did, the feelings I felt, the feelings of shame, rage, confusion, uh, shame. Uh, I'm so, I was so embarrassed that that happened to me. Nobody could know. I can't tell Peter, I can't tell Ed, I can't tell anybody. Yeah. What will my friends think? Yeah. If, uh, right, so that's a shame. Confusion, did I do something to make those two older boys do this to me? Yeah. Am I, was I secretly gay? Yeah. Like, right? So, you grew up as a young man and the back of your head, vo the, the, the voice in the back of your head is kind of asking you that. And so yeah. what do I do? I have to distract myself and get into trouble. And, and as I grew up, start businesses to not hear that voice. And then the rage, like how could this happen to me? How come no one protected me as a little puppy, right? And so to be able to write that letter to myself and then sit there after a month of writing that letter, because it took a long time, well, it took 29, 28 days of avoiding the letter. And then the last two days I wrote it. Because I told myself I have 30 days to write it. Otherwise, I wasn't allowed to experience Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was coming up. Um, so we were getting close to Thanksgiving. So I finally was able to write it. But an 11-page letter to myself that then Kevin was able to break down piece by piece and literally deflate the shame, the rage, the confusion, the self-hate. Um, that's a lot of work, man. And I would walk yeah. out of his office feeling like I'm walking through molasses. Like people ask me like, how do you feel when you feel like your soul's been ripped out? Yeah. When you're bringing up stuff that's so old and so toxic and so, uh. so you for two or three days, you walk around like you're in molasses and your head is like in a fog. Like when you drink, 
too much NyQuil the night before because you're sick and you wake up a little foggy-headed and yeah. nothing makes sense. Like, who's willing to do that work? The people willing to do that work are the ones that will have the big breakthroughs. But it's easy to just read a book. So I know I said, hey, read these books, and I named off a few. That's a good start. That's the tip of the iceberg. You want to get to the core of the iceberg? Like, go work with the therapist. Openly say, this is what happened to me. This was the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And even if you think you've dealt with it, because I told Kevin, I said, Kevin, I've dealt with that. Yeah. He goes, are you sure? He goes, can you say that I'm whole? And I started crying again. Yeah. And uh, I realized I didn't deal with it. I just stuffed it in a mental closet somewhere and I put all this furniture in front of it hoping that I would never have to address it. Yeah. So doing the deep work is really what gives us that, that if there was one thing, it's that, it's yeah. that. I mean, you could avoid all the books, all the courses, every Tony Robbins seminar and just go with, to a therapist and say, this, I finally need to work on this. Ooh, that's scary. That's freaking scary, man. Oh my God. I mean, first off, thank you for being so open and sharing and I, I hope that gives uh, the audience here permission to also be open because there's I think it, we all have a couple of things in our life that we are ashamed of that we you know that gives us confusion and causes rage and we we don't tell anyone right not even like the closest person we have and we just shut it off but it it, it always comes back to us right it does because it's it's unprocessed in other words, we, our brain hasn't figured it out yet, right? It's, it's unprocessed trauma. Like when a, when a firefighter sees a, a, a baby that was just burned and charred in the fire. Yeah. And I've got a lot of firefighters who are friends, um, and so they tell me this, and they kind of laugh about it. It's called graveyard humor. Yeah. That's how they, they laugh about it. That's how they cope with it. But they haven't, but you, year after year after year, this is why firefighters have the highest suicide rate and divorce rate, even higher than police officers. Because they see stuff that the human mind is not a, supposed to see, and when it does, you're supposed to process that. And left unprocessed, it haunts you. Yeah. And so my trauma haunted me. Um, that will haunt them. Uh, if, if someone had a parent who was just verbally or emotionally abusive, yeah. that will haunt them until you're processed and you're whole. Yeah. It's, uh it's interesting how when we look at life and, and where we are, sometimes we don't realize that it's actually much deeper than we think. And I, I think this is a great subject because there's a lot of great athletes, business people, entrepreneurs that are listening to this show. And, and you might ask yourself, like, why am I not at the level that I want? And it, it might go a lot deeper than you think. Yeah. Uh, how, how about uh, this past year and, and overall, for me, working out and, and meditating and being a martial artist mm -hmm. helped me. Uh, it always helps me, but I doubled down on that this year and it helped me even more. Can you just share, it, how, did, how was it for you? Did, did that help you? Like, what did you do? And yeah. So, so I'm glad you said that. You said... Your meditation, your martial arts, you double down on it, especially in 2020. Yeah. When you think about meditation, it's discipline of the mind. Yeah. And martial arts is discipline of the body. Yeah. Discipline is the answer. It, it really is the answer. 
when we're undisciplined, we begin to emotionally react. We begin to do things that we're going to regret later, right? Uh, there's a saying that says, uh, don't, make an, uh, don't make a permanent decision off temporary feelings, yeah. right? So when you have a disciplined mind and a disciplined body, and you can control your state through breathing, your heart rate, your blood pressure, um, keep your mind from going down the negative rabbit hole instead, look for opportunity and positivity, because a lot of great things happened in 2020 as well. Yeah. It's just the news didn't share that. Yeah. Because the news media's job is to put us in a state of fear and conflict, not in a state of hope and unity. That's, you know, a news station like that would never survive, unfortunately, because we're just twisted as humans. That's a whole <laughs> different thing. And so for me, very similar to yours, I started working out three times a day, because I work out twice a day. I started working out three times a day. Like, what's good for me? What gives me the endorphins, the focus, the control of mind and body? Well, my two workouts a day. Well, this is very stressful, 2020. So I better do one more of what's working for me. And if I needed a fourth workout a day, I would have. Lord knows I had the time. <laughs> I wasn't going anywhere to speak. Yeah. I wasn't traveling. It's not like we were getting new franchises on board. I had the time. And so my fourth or my third workout a day ended up being a five-minute jog walk at this park called Ayatollah Park outside, which was awesome because it was empty. Nobody was there. They literally had taped off the, uh, the football fields, soccer fields. And so I had this giant, like, you know, 30-acre park to myself. Yeah. Every morning after my workout, I'd go there and do a second workout, so just, yeah. just movement, fresh air, and... It helped me, and I realized, like for me, that was meditative. It was therapeutic. It gave me control of my thoughts and my body, which then allowed me to come here and lead my team. Yeah. Most people don't have meditation, martial arts, exercise to even double down on, yeah. because most people don't think that winter is coming. Yeah. Since 2017, when I heard Tony Robbins say this, um, in 2016, Sorry, 2016, Tony Robbins and I shared the stage at Joe Polish's event, um, the Genius Network event. And while I'm getting mic'd up in the back of the ballroom, he's on stage and he's finishing up his talk and he says, let me just remind you, winter is coming. If your business, if your income, if your mindset is only, only built on surviving in summers when everything is going well, you're not prepared for winter. Uh, you're going to suffer, and winter is coming. He says, be prepared for winter. And I was like, shoot, those are powerful words. And so, of course, on my next podcast uh, for The Empire Show, uh, since, after that, from since 2017, I would constantly give Tony Robbins the credit, and I would say, guys, remember, winter is coming. It, it may come in the form of another terrorist attack, like 2011 or 2001. It may come in the form of a housing market crash, like 2008. It may come in the form of a, of a stock market crash, like 2015, well, it came in the form of a virus, yeah. but winter is coming. And if you are built for winter, then you will survive and thrive through winter. You, Peter, through meditation and a lifelong pursuit of martial arts, not only the physical aspect of it, but the spiritual and mental focus, have built your body and your mind for winter. And because of that, you survived, thrived through 2020, where others who never did anything, just assumed life will always be as great as it was, 
were caught by surprise. Didn't have the mental toughness, the emotional discipline, the, the focus over their mind and body. And so all of a sudden when the news came out, you know, you should wash your cartons of cereal, you should wear masks, you should wear four masks, five masks, a, a face shield. Now, the, 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 what do I do next, right? Yeah. Whereas common sense tells you like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. They said the survivability rate is 90-something. And if you're old or obese, you're more likely to target. Okay, let me just do a self-check. Okay, good, I'm fine. Now let me take go the extra mile and make sure I don't just touch something and put my hands in my mouth. Yeah. Okay, other than that, I'm good. I should be able to survive it like the 99.6% of the other people. You know, what's interesting to me is here we are over a year later. And if you go to Albertsons across the street here from our headquarters, you will see people with masks. And I know what I'm about to say is politically incorrect, <laughs> but I'm gonna say it. Um, when I travel, I'm out and about. I still see people with masks voluntarily. Every single one of them are morbidly obese. So if in over a year, knowing that obesity multiplied your chances of death from this virus, you chose not to have that personal discipline, you would rather wear a mask now, thinking that that mask is gonna protect you, versus spending some part of that year to lose the 60 to 160 pounds so that you will build the internal mask of discipline and immune system. That's unfortunate. It's interesting because I look at this past year, everybody, most people said, uh, has always said, I don't have time. This past year, most of us got the gift of time back. A, a massive amount. A massive amount, almost everyone, right? But what did you choose to do with that time? And, and some, it makes me sad because we saw alcohol consumption went up. Uh, like, I sh let me be honest, I saw more shows on Netflix than I ever done, but I also worked more than I ever done. I also trained more. I took the time for all of that, read more books and all of that shit. But it makes me sad that when you get more time, you get weaker yeah. instead of getting stronger. Yeah. Uh, and I was listening to the press conference after the Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier fight with Dana White, and he, he's really tough. And he's like, I don't care. People got so weak this past year. I'm just going to run through, right through them. And when for me, that's a little bit over the top, but it's, he's very successful at what he does. So I can't blame him. There's blame a lot him. of truth to what he says. It's a lot of truth to what he says. So it kind of hit me and I'm, I'm thinking the opposite side. I want to find a way to help those people that are getting weaker to shift their mindset because it saddens me to see good people living shitty lives. Yeah. Uh, w what thoughts do you have around that? You, you know, I, I think that's why you and I like click so well, man. I know. Um, and this is our third time yeah. doing this, and as soon as I see you, like, I'm very en energy sensitive, just saying, so you know, I'm very energy sensitive, and you just have this, this compassionate, empathetic energy about you, where I can tell you're a, you're a helper, a, serv a servant, uh, which is exactly how I am. I don't know if I have the answer to that. Yeah. Like, I've created the project, I've created the Squire program, a, you know, self-development program for men, a self-development program, or, or a rite of passage for boys yeah. into manhood, because we need stronger, more capable young men uh, because they are, it's a, they are weakening and they are the fiber of our future. Yeah. How do you help someone who doesn't want to help themselves? I mean, how do you help someone 
Peter, who knows that if they lost the 60 to 100 pounds when they have more time than ever, that if this coronavirus continues on for a year or two or three, that they would be in a better state. Uh, and they didn't. They chose to, in fact, get fatter, and, but they wear a mask hoping that that mask will act as some kind of a shield for the coronavirus. Um, I don't know how you do that. At the end of the, well, here, here's how I, I guess I do, I do have the answer. Again, it goes back to a post I did. I said, there's three types of men. There's men who I kind of rank. I told this to my wife on date night one day. You know, had a couple of cocktails and we're having a great steak. And I go, honey, there's three types of men. She goes, tell me. I go, well, <laughs> I go, we, we all want to be a 10, yeah. right? Like we all want to be a 10 on all level. You know, great family man, uh, fit mentally, physically, emotionally, um, financially stable and successful and secure, and then strong in our faith, in our belief in ourselves and a higher power, like the four F-bombs, fit, fitness, family, faith, and finance. So like if, if you're a 10 on all things, you're, you're, you're a 10 guy, but no guy is a 10. Uh, the rest of us break down somewhere between one and nine. So I said, the guys who are, you know, seven, eight, nine, these are guys who are constantly doing the work to try and become that 10. They will always chase the 10 and never get there, but they are the tip of the spear, the most self-developed men. Uh, gentlemen, uh, kind, however courageous. And then you've got the four, five, and six. These are men who realize like there's this burning desire within me to do something. I know I'm meant for more. I know I have greater purpose. When I listen to Peter's podcast, it, it inspires me. And I did read one of the books he talked about, but then I didn't act on it, uh, right? But, but they're, they're likely to read a book and maybe act on it and then come and say, Peter, uh, I'm gonna hire you, coach me into greatness. Yeah. Then you've got the one, twos, and threes. These people you can never help because the one, twos, and threes, whether male or female, it doesn't matter, they actually believe that they're tens. They have the misconception that I'm not the problem. The reason we argue is because you're the problem. This is why they go through divorce after divorce after divorce, and they just constantly say, I kept marrying the bad, the wrong woman. Yeah. Are you sure? Or was all these different women marrying the wrong guy? Yeah. You were the problem, right? The one, twos, and threes, these are the victim-minded men uh, or women. Uh, th these are the ones who will point blame these are the ones who go, yeah, yeah, you need that, I don't. They know it all, but they haven't applied it all. And so my mission is to look for the men that are fours, fives, six, sevens, eights, and nines, to help them push them up a little higher. Yeah. Um, I've literally given up on the one, twos, and threes yeah. because I get so frustrated. And sometimes I get mad at myself for that, but then I go, hey, I'm putting out free content. The one, twos, and threes can just listen to that and use that because they're never going to come to a project. They're never going to get coaching. They're never going to buy a franchise. They're never going to want to elevate themselves. They're the ones who just go, yeah, I would have opened up a business if I had the money. Well, listen, 99% of Fit Body Bootcamp owners took out a loan to start their business and now they're thriving. So not everyone had the money. Yeah, if I had the money, I would start a business too, but I had to max out my credit cards. Um, so I, I don't know if I have the answer to that other than I'm going to help the category of people who are willing to get the help. Yeah. Those who aren't, I'm done trying. Yeah. I think, I think that's uh, a very good assessment. I used to always want to help everyone. And I'm, 
I think I realized a couple of years ago that I can't push my help on anyone. You gotta want it yourself. You can be there and you can start start kind of elevating it a little bit, but unless you really want it yourself, it's hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm curious, during this past year, like you have a lot of franchises, even you lost some, but are there any of the people in your group that was special, that you saw that grit and they elevated when it was really, really tough that you wanna kind of give a shout out to and share what they kind of did? Yeah, yeah, in fact there are. um all these names come to mind all of a sudden. Uh, CJ Warecamp, um, Tom Huff. So CJ's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Tom Huff and his wife in uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, Stephen Hadley in uh, not Idaho. He is. Oh, it's on Daphne, Alabama, and Jody and Thad in Florida. Um, they own multiple locations, actually. And when I think about all four of those people, and there's there's more, and Trevor Stahl uh, and, and his his team, man, they opened up a second location in 2020. Love that. Um, I mean, yeah. And I, I should say that, that we had several owners open up a second location because they knew that this would end. Yeah. And they knew that now leases are cheaper than ever. So they took advantage of that. Um, but when I look at those six, seven, eight, nine, ten people that come to mind immediately when you ask this question, as I give them shout-outs, they all have the same thing in common. They, they have invested in their personal growth, not just how to run a business, sales, marketing, client retention, their own personal growth. Like, they email me about, what book are you reading next? And I'll tell them, and then they go, have you, tried, have you listened to this book? I'm like, no, I haven't, man. Right? Like, I'm getting book recommendations from them. So it's... You know how they say success leaves clues? Yeah. It's so true. And I bet they think they're the only ones um, asking me, but there's others. And so I see it. Because from my vantage point, I get to see, and I and now I get to see who's not reaching out to me, who's not doing the self-help, and who's suffering. It's like you're drowning, yet you're not reaching for the life preserver. These guys have life preservers all around them because they, well before the pandemic, they were reading books and doing the self-work and... Um, a couple of them that I mentioned have gone through the project. Um, they're part of the Fit Body Bootcamp Mastermind where we do a lot of self-development, self-growth. We brought in John Gordon to speak to them, et cetera. Um, Jocko Willink, et cetera. Like, you know, things that have nothing to do with marketing, just, just mental toughness, emotional resilience, um, identifying your blind spots and fixing them. And so they all have those things in common. And that is how you prepare for winter. That is how you become built for winter because the question people ask me is, how do, I know, how do I know if I'm built for winter? It's not like you come out of the womb. I don't know one person, <laughs> not even Tony Robbins, who came out of the womb built for winter. You, you build the armor around you through development of self, through a network. Your network is also important. How great did it feel to have guys like Tom Bilyeu and Ed Milet and Andy Frasilla and Tim Grover almost on a weekly basis texting me? And me texting them, Craig Ballantyne, blowing me up. Hey man, how you doing? Are you okay? It's not a good time to be a gym franchise CEO right now, just thinking of you. Like, yeah. that is powerful, man. That, that's human armor, right? Like, my friends are human armor. And like, hey, we know you got this. Let me know if you need anything. Thanks, guys. Like, if they believe in me, and they're thinking of me, and these are guys that I look up to, yeah. I'm not gonna let them down. I'm not gonna let myself down. I'm not gonna let my franchisees down. And so. 
all these franchise owners who were reaching out to me and I was reaching out to them and connecting, you know what's crazy is then the ones who weren't reaching out to us and through social media you could see who are who's failing, right? Yeah. They stopped posting and then when they start posting it's things aren't looking good. We may have to shut down, right? Yeah. On social media. And when we reach out, no answer. Yeah. It's almost like they've disconnected. They've yeah. chosen hopelessness over hope. And so I guess that's the answer. The common denominator of the success that I saw, those surviving and thriving during COVID in our brand, was those who did self-development and those who accept, took, accepted hope instead of hopelessness. Yeah. Awesome. One thing that I've, I've realized that during this past year, as you know, I, I wrote a book about goals. Uh, I'm big into goals. And one, first off, I realized that it's great to have goals, but you have to be able to pivot quickly if necessary. And also, if you're too narrow, you might miss something more beautiful that's out there. So that's one thing. The, the other thing that I really realized is, for me, when I make a decision, I figure it out. I know I have made a decision to do it, and I don't, I don't know how, but somehow I make it work. Uh, and. I keep doing work until I find the answer. Is that something that you have seen in your life as well? And can you share when you realize that? Yeah, I, I, I have. And that may, I'm gonna have to ask you, I don't know if that's factory installed. That may be something that we have from the womb. Yeah. I, I think if I do have a superpower, it might be that, that I, I say it less eloquently than you did. I say, I can eat shit sandwich after shit sandwich after shit sandwich until I figure it out. Like, yeah. I'm just willing to get punished yeah. until I figure it out if I put my mind to it. Um, I don't know if that's just being pig-headed, stubborn, um, committed. Yeah. I don't know where that comes from. I've always had that. Yeah. I've, even as a kid, if I wanted something, I found a way to get it. Yeah. I remember figuring out how to mow enough lawns to make enough money to take like three different buses to service merchandise to buy a BB gun that my dad didn't want me to buy. <laughs> and I had to buy it during the time he was at work and get back. So I had figured out all the bus schedules and get back and then hide, play with my BB gun and then hide my BB gun before he ever got home. Yeah. Like, and communist dad. <laughs> so like, like you get backhanded and you get yeah. beat up. You don't just get, you know, get into trouble. Right, so I knew the the, the fines. backhand is dangerous. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what you know. I don't know if they have to teach that in your martial arts or not, but my dad can teach you that. My one. father is my sensei. I've had a yeah, yeah. There you go. My dad called it the Five Brothers. He goes, "You want the Five Brothers?" Like, no, I don't want the Five Brothers, man. Enough with the Five Brothers. I've had like fifty brothers already. Enough. But um, and so I don't know where that comes from. Now, have I been able to develop that more? Yes, I could eat even more shit sandwiches than ever now. And I bet a decade from now, I'll. So, so it's like a muscle. It is a trainable muscle where I can stick to something and fail a hundred times. And if a hundred and one time is the time that makes it, I can get there. If it's a thousand and one time, I can get there if I put my mind to it. I, but I don't think that everybody has that. Yeah. It's, they can develop it, but those of us that are born with that, that is an advantage. How do you develop that though? <sighs> Wins. The, the, the more wins you get, the more you like the taste of winning, right? And so if you're not stubborn and pig-headed like, like we are, 
Um, but let's face it, being an immigrant in this country, you, you kind of have a chip on your shoulder to prove yourself, yeah. right? And so that's, that works in our favor. Yeah. People go, man, yeah, you have a chip on your shoulder. Right, you should do something about that. I'm like, no, I like it. Yeah. I like it. I just control it. I control my rage, like Tim Grover says. Um, but hey, if you're born here, like my kids, yeah. they're born here. They have a great life. They fly first class or upper class when we fly everywhere. Um, I teach them to get wins. Son, what do you want to eat tonight? Oh, I want Primo's. I want the Primo's, uh, what's it called? The Primo's Monster Burrito with steak and french fries in it. Awesome. We're going to have to do 300 deadlifts before you do, do that. So we're going to drive to my gym and we're going to work out together. So he knows that he has to win at something to get the reward. No reward ahead of winning. And so same with my daughter. Uh, just think of that because yesterday we were, that's, that literally happened yesterday. And in fact, I made my son, he's 15, drive through the drive-thru because I'm teaching him how to drive. Like, right, now you're going to drive through the drive-thru. Otherwise, we're not eating Primo's. So <laughs> you're going to have to do the deadlifts and drive through the drive-thru. It's like, but dad, what if this car's behind me? I'm like, you're going to figure it out, son. Yeah. <laughs> and it was his mom's car, my wife's car. So thankfully, <laughs> nothing happened. Yeah. Smart. Because <laughs> I, got, yeah, I got the big truck and he doesn't want to drive the truck. And, and so he drives a Land Rover. Um, so anyway, all, all, all this to say that when you start stacking wins, you start liking that feeling of winning. Just so many people have given up on things. They start and they stop. They give up. They give up too early. They have an idea of starting and then they never even launch, failure to launch. So, so many people have stacked losses for so long, they don't know how to stick to anything because they're used to losing. I condition my kids to get used to winning. I don't, like my daughter has the ability, like you and I do, she, she has it naturally factory installed to stick to something and figure it out and get it done. Yeah. Truth be told, my son doesn't. Yeah. So with my son, I'm conditioning that into him yeah. and he's doing just fine. That's good. Yeah. I think uh, when, I, when I hear you talking, I think it's also about the loss or loss S before the win or wins. And I don't know how we can help people train this way, but I know in sports, for example, there's a lot of shitty coaches. So when somebody does a mistake, that person are being like punished and which scares that little kid to try again. Uh, but what do you want to say to those people out there? They, they might be older now and they're like, they're stuck because when they, people has been shooting them down and they haven't seen the small wins because it's all, it's all a wordplay, right? Yeah. You can lose and win. I mean, I, I remember first time I went to Paris Open. It's one of the biggest tournaments for karate. I was the best in Sweden in my division. I go there, there are like 70 or 80 fighters from all over the world. One guy from France, he packed me up and sends me home in 30 seconds. Like, I didn't even know what the fuck happened. <laughs> but that was a big loss. But when I came back, I realized that it was such a great win because now I knew there was a big gap. Yeah. And that was very, very hard, but also lit the fire within me. But what do you want to say to, to people out there that have had those things, but they, nobody's kind of like, come on, this is, this is actually a win. And, and that's a really good question. And quite honestly, to those people, I would say, don't try and do it by yourself. Get a coach, get a mentor. Yeah. You know, Sometimes we need that. Like, like none of your wins happen on, on their own, like yeah, at the big nothing, tournaments, right? Nothing. Like you've had senseis and coaches and yeah. instructors and... No, uh, I couldn't do nothing myself. Right. Yeah. 
same here. When I when I look at all of my brands, Fit Body Bootcamp, Truline, uh, the, the my coaching programs, the the project, Squire, I can name off the the coaches. You know, Joe Polish, Jim Franco, uh, Frank Kern, one of the like a prolific copywriter who taught me how to write amazing copy, Dan Kennedy, Gary Halbert, um, and and when I like those are all coaches in my sport of entrepreneurism. Yeah. Like people go, man, you did amazing stuff. Yeah, with coaches who had my back. Because you kind of don't want to let a coach down either. Yep. And when you have those moments of where you have a pity party, yep. your coach can go, are you done? Yep. Yeah, I think I'm done. <laughs> okay, let's go back and try and write a new sales ad. Because yep. it's not like the first ad that I made for Fit Body Bootcamp worked, yep. and all of a sudden people start buying my franchise. In fact, I remember 20 or 30 different ads before and 20 or $30,000 spent on Facebook before an ad actually converted. And then when we started to sell franchise locations, we weren't even a franchise back then. We were a licensing program. Uh, the state of California find me was gonna find me $2,500 per location because I was operating as a franchise, but I wasn't a franchise yet because I was giving a protected territory. All this to say that that was another big loss to me. Like I had 115 locations. So times $2,500 each, I thought about going, just, I'll just go bankrupt and be done. But I was like, wait a minute, they're not about to put me out of business. I said, listen, if I become a franchise and I don't sell another location until I become a franchise, will you not find me the 2,500? They said, fine. So I figured out, I didn't know how, but I figured out by doing Google searches, because I didn't have an attorney then, like a corporate attorney like we have now, I didn't have the money to get an attorney, even by the hour. So I figured out how to fill out the right paperwork and become a franchise. And, and when I look back, I'm like, shoot, man, I negotiated with the state of California. Like, that's pretty badass. And only in hindsight, I realized what I did was pretty amazing. In that moment, it was survival. But I also remember thinking, well, at the time, uh, I was paying, actually, Frank Kern money for coaching. Like, whether I close Fit Body Bootcamp or not, he's not going to refund my money. So just to not let him down and to be able to use what I'm you know, getting, I better figure this thing out. Yeah. So sometimes you just have to get a coach who will believe in you in times that you don't have that self-belief yeah. until you develop your own self-belief. Yeah. Um, you were at a point where you were like, when the guy from France kind of like said, packed you up yeah. and sent you home, you're like, okay, all right, I thought I was really good until I got there, then I realized there's a massive gap between me and the champion. I'm gonna fill in that gap over the next months or years yeah. and then go back and see what I'm made of now. Yeah. Um, so that strength comes internally, but maybe in the beginning, because if that happened in your first year of martial arts when you started, maybe it would've been like, fuck this, I quit. Yeah. Like yeah. that was too, too much of an ass beating to even try and go a second time. Yeah. But thankfully it happened after you had some years under your belt, you had some coaching, and you're like, you know what? I can probably fill in that gap. You have enough confidence. And so when you don't have the confidence to do it, you have to ride your coach's confidence. And again, it goes back to people's, do you value yourself enough? Do you feel you're worthy enough to be able to pay for a coach to invest in yourself? Most people don't even want to invest in themselves. It's just so sad. It is very sad. And I, when we're talking about this, I think about, uh, one of my favorite quotes that I usually have when I go on stage, when I do something, is like, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. It's Maya Angelou who said that. Mm. And I think it's pretty cool. Like if you think about all those people that have helped you during the years, they're here pushing you and helping you. Uh, I think 
I think I have two more questions to be addressed, and then I'm gonna let you go. Uh, first off is, if we talk about mastering one's mindset, if people coming out of this show, like, hey, this was a great show, and like, as you said, probably the one, two, threes, they're like, oh, it was a great show, and then they go and, and, and open a beer and, and have some chips and watch the game. And then we have four, five, six, they, they're yeah. contemplating, and then we have the seven, eight, nine. So like, what do you want to sell to all those people? Like, what? Because we want action now. Yeah. Otherwise, this is a waste of time. I mean, we had a great time. I love being here with you. But if you're here watching now, and if you had, haven't taken a single note, and if you're not planning taking any action, I mean, that makes me sad. So there is one thing I would tell that person. I would tell that person that, you know, if you really want to get the most out of this particular episode and you want to lean into self-mastery, self-discovery, self-development, in any state, at any given time, there's a marathon that's going to happen. Marathons happen everywhere. Go register for a marathon and then give yourself six weeks before the marathon and start training for it and do the marathon and finish the marathon. I'll tell you why. When you pay for a marathon, and I, I did that. My very first challenge, I do these six-week challenges. My very first one, and I'm not a runner. I had never run before. I had my wife register me for the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon, so I paid for it. And then I told everybody at my mastermind about it. So now I had accountability yeah. through peers, peer accountability. So I got money on the line, and I get it. It was like a couple hundred bucks still, yeah. but still money. So, yeah. um, I've got a date. So having a date, like in the sand, that you can't push back helps. And then, of course, peer pressure in a positive way. I trained for six weeks, and I hired a running coach, Jill Brewer, runwithjill.com. There you go, folks. Uh, go register for a marathon. I hope runwithjill.com is still around. But anyway, go find a running coach, train for six weeks, and run that marathon. That will build so much discipline, resilience, mental toughness, self-development. Because for me, I would go on my training runs at around 11 o'clock at night. So I'd finish my work, go home, family time, dinner around eight. We watch a little bit of TV together. Kids go to bed. My wife and I would hang out a little bit. Then she'd go to bed around 10, 10, 15. And then by 11 o'clock, I've got my shoes on. I'm hydrated. 11 p.m., I look at my thing. Okay, oh, okay four mile run today. Got it. Okay, four miles. Okay, I know where that's at. And so by the time I'm doing eight, nine, 12 mile runs, I'm coming back at two in the morning, <laughs> peaceful in the city of yeah. Chino Hills. How easy is it to go, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. I'm six miles into a 12 mile run. I just better stop and walk back and not tell my wife that I did six miles and not 12. She'll never know, but I'll still somehow push myself through the, through the marathon. But then I'm like, wait a minute, you're a hypocrite if you do that. You're an imposter, you're fake, you're a phony and you're just not gonna be happy with yourself. And I know what my triggers are. Then I'm gonna emotionally eat because that's what I do. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, fat boy, since we know what's gonna happen, keep running instead of turning back. And I remember I ran, and during my 12 mile run of the training run, I crossed into the next city. It said, welcome to Diamond Bar. And dude, I, again, I started crying because I had never, my legs had never taken me as far as to another city before. I've driven past that sign. Right, and I remember thinking like, that is discipline. Like, I am a disciplined man. I was so proud of myself. And so, you know, like, you can get, you can listen to this episode and get all pumped up and excited and then go crack a beer and eat a bag of chips. Or you can listen to this episode and crack your laptop open, yeah. register for a marathon, 
hire a running coach, train for six weeks, and run that marathon and watch how developed you get in such a short amount of time, mentally and physically. Love that. Tell me more about those six week challenges. I'm cu kind of curious now. Yeah. So that the, is. <laughs> the first one was an accident. It was in 2010. <laughs> I had, so in 2003, I told my, or 2002, I told my wife at the time, she was my girlfriend, jokingly, because she ran marathons. She ran three marathons a year. I said, uh, and she always tried to get me to run marathons. I'm like, no, you go in the gym and work out with me instead. And so I kind of told myself, and this is another problem that we have as humans. We go, oh, God's made me to lift weights. I'm a big guy. I got big traps, big legs, big chest. I'm made for, to lift weights. Dude, we are adaptable. Like, we go into the sun, we get a tan. Our body adapts to the environment. It was so amazing to see my body adapt to running. And I was like, uh, boy, was I a liar or what? Because <laughs> I had sold myself on the idea that I'm just designed to lift weights. But anyway, so I told her one day in 20, 2002, jokingly, I said, hey, if you, uh, if, you, if, you decide to, if you marry me, I'll run a marathon with you. And she laughed. She goes, really? I goes, yeah. I go, yeah. She goes, well, if you ask me, I'll say yes. I was like, okay, that was my way of testing it, right? <laughs> so six months later, I asked her to marry me. And um, in 2003, we get married. Well, 2010 had come, and I hadn't run a marathon with her yet. Oh my God. Now I get it, I said yeah. it jokingly, yeah. but in my head I was still kind of serious. Yeah. And so one day I just felt so much guilt and pressure from that. I texted her, and I was on a business trip, and I texted her, I said, honey, when is your next marathon? She goes, it's in six weeks. I go, where? She goes, San Diego, San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon. Sign me up, sign me up. She goes, are you sure they have a half marathon too? I'm like, sign me up for the full marathon. A decade ago, I promised that I would run a marathon with you. Where I was at was Jill Brewer. I was teaching one of our masterminds. Jill Brewer, run with Jill.com. So during the lunch break, I go, hey, Jill, I just signed up for a marathon. My wife sent me the receipt. Can you put me on a training program? She goes, sure. And so during that training program, I learned that we negotiate our way out of everything. Like that, that voice at 11, 12 o'clock at night, 1 a.m. comes out and says, hey, you don't have to finish this run. You can just go home and lie and say that you had a great 12-mile run or 9-mile run. And then the, the conversation that you have with that voice, and you know, at the project we call it, you negotiate with your inner bitch yeah. <laughs> or you become a beast. And so I would negotiate with my inner bitch a lot. And so during the just training part, I learned so much about myself. My breaking point, um, the, 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 the discomforts, the, the excuses that I would come up, well, hey, you didn't sleep well last night, so it's okay to skip the, no, 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 just because you didn't sleep last night doesn't mean it's okay to skip the training. The marathon's not moving, it's on this date, right? So I would literally have these discussions with myself, and sometimes like I was yelling at myself in my head. And um, so when I did the marathon, I remember at mile number 17, thinking, dude, my body was hurting. Peter, my body was like aching, cramping, like things were just, like my knees were swollen. Because six weeks is not enough time. Yeah. And I remember mile number 17, I, I remember thinking, if I just throw myself on the ground, hold my side or hold my leg, my wife, and tell my wife that it's just a cramp and I can't fix it, I could at least have some dignity. Yeah. And I'm like, you little bitch, don't even think about it. Because she's running with me, yeah. right? I'm like, you little bitch, don't even think about it. Just do it at mile number 18. And then mile number 18, I'm like, just do it at mile number 19. So I got to 26.2 miles by negotiating with myself, but saying just one more mile and then you can do it. So I learned so much resiliency. And I was like, man, if, and, and then all of a sudden, 
it bled into my business. I became a better leader. I became a better father. I became a better husband. So I'm like, I think I'm onto something. So I started doing these challenges. So it was an MMA challenge after that. I hired Aaron Weatherspoon. He was the king of the cage welterweight champion. And we trained for six weeks, three times a week. And then he got into the cage with me. That was an awful experience. <laughs> uh, and then rock climbing, because I was afraid of heights. Yeah. So Joshua Tree, rock climbing three times a week with the coach. When I think about you know, how many coaches I've had from business to fitness, surfing, I was afraid of the ocean, yet I live in Southern California. Yeah. Uh, hired a surf instructor for six weeks, and I said, hey, just teach me how to surf. I'm gonna come Monday, Wednesday, Friday. He goes, that's not how it works. You know, the waves don't happen on your schedule. They happen <laughs> on a wave when they're supposed yeah. to. You have to look at the wave report. I go, no, no, I'm too busy. He goes, what if it's flat? I go, then teach me how to paddle. Yeah. He goes, what if the waves are too big? I go, teach me how not to drown. And if the waves are perfect size, teach me how to surf. And that's what we did. Sometimes I'd go to Doheny, Dana Point, and uh, it was flat, like a lake. Yeah. For two hours, he's out there, he goes, all right, keep paddling. <laughs> all right, so I'm just paddle, 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 paddle. But I got so good at paddling that I could just do two real strong paddles and catch a wave now. And when the waves are really big, just try not to die, you know? And, but I learned so much, consistency, mental toughness, overcoming fear, Realizing that it's never as bad as you think it is. Like the act of drowning is not as bad when someone teaches you how to catch your breath right before it sucks you in and teaches you how a wave works and that if it sucks you in, it's gonna spit you out because it's a circle, like a washing machine. I didn't know that. So I just knew I'd been sucked underwater before that I don't wanna die. Well, if something's sucking you under, it's gonna also push you back up. And so once you learn that, you develop this confidence about the water, which bleeds into every other part of your life. And so then jujitsu and all these different things, all these six-week challenges, and they just continue to happen. Um, but each one makes me more self-aware, and I gain more self-mastery. And it's some of the best alone time that I can get. You know, and, and you know this, when you're alone in meditation, that you really do a lot of processing of problems and challenges and trauma and all that stuff. I love that. And also the six weeks is long enough for you to learn something, but short enough for you to stay motivated on something new Excited and taking it. the time if you're already busy. So it's incredible. I, yeah. I think I need to implement that in my yeah. life because it sounds very fun. And also it sounds like I can learn a lot of fun stuff. And also one thing that I really took away when you talked about that story about 10 years after you hadn't done it. We all have that in our belly. There's something right now when you're listening. I said I was going to do that, but I did not. Yes. So if you're listening, watching to this show, that thing, do it. Because one of my mentors, he said, Tony Robbins, if you, want it, if, if you don't want to do it, then you must. Unless it's like jumping out of a window. Right, then right. then final. Uh, Anyway, the final thing that I want to share before we leave, I think this has been the theme of the show, and that is you're already worthy for people that are listening right now. You're, you're not what you're doing. You're not what you're owning. So give us your final thoughts about mm. you know, being worthy, and then we'll head out. That's powerful. You are. You're what, your possessions, your status, your, your, your job title, your companies, the brands that you wear, None of that is your identity. You're already worthy. You're already good enough. You really are. That doesn't mean that don't go self-develop. Yeah. That just means that don't tie your identity to the things and the possessions and the brands. 
Instead, tie your identity to developing to that highest level of yourself, to become that human being who lives with, as one with consciousness. And if you realize that, then maybe you won't. And I think one reason people just live a shitty life is because they feel they're not worthy. They feel they don't deserve it. They feel that they, that others are better than them. Yeah. No one's better than me or you. Yeah. No one, man. We all have two arms, two legs, insecurities. Um, can I tell you something? And, and yeah, this is, please. dude, this is the third time that we've been here, yeah. right? And between... All the podcasts that I've done, like Zoom ones and in person, I've probably done about 600. Each time as I come down the staircase, there's a little bit of anxiety. There's yeah. a little bit of like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. What if I can't do it right? Yeah. What if I let Peter down? Yeah. Every time. Yeah. And you would think it would only happen with a new host, a new person coming in, because I've experienced it twice before. Yeah. So that's my insecurity, because I'm a foreigner. I had a lisp, and I've gotten rid of my lisp for the most part. I've gotten underbite and kids used to laugh at me about that. And I realized my looks are different than the regular person. And so I got laughed at that. But I know it's also my mission and my purpose to serve. And how can I serve if I don't push myself out of my comfort zone and take advantage of Peter's platform that he's giving me? And so I come down those steps 600 some odd times now Anxious, a little bit of stress, and I don't know if you noticed my hand was cold. I intentionally hold a cold bottle in my hand because yeah. my hands sweat when I get nervous. Yeah. And so right before I walk in, I switch to hands and I shake your hand because I don't want to shake your hand with a sweaty hand. And I share this with Good you, move. Peter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you figure things out, right? I mean, but dude, if you let all of those little insecurities stop you thinking that you're not worthy and you're not good enough, like... Maybe you're supposed to be the person that solves the next cancer, the next electrical grid problem, the next economic problem. Just get up off your butt, have your insecurities, and do it anyway. Yeah. I'm the same way, man. And I think I always think about this. If you're nervous, it means that you're serious. And it rhymes better in Sweden, <laughs> in Swedish. But it's kind of like if you care about something, it means that you're, you're serious. If I yeah. come here unprepared, if I don't care, then I should do something else. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, we still do it. And if you're watching this, you can still do it as well. If you're nervous, if you're scared about something, go out and do it. First off, hats off to you, Bedros. I'm so happy you always say yes and you always let me come here and uh, pick your brain. So I've had so much fun. I learned so much. Thank you. Uh, for people that want to check out Truly and Fit Body Bootcamp, Bedros Kulian, where is the best platform to start? Yeah, probably the best place to start is just to follow me on Instagram, yeah. at Bedros Kulian. And um, from there, they can just learn all about me and my, my world. Awesome. And thanks again, guys, for being here. As you know, my big fat mission is to help at least 10 million people in 10 years to go after their dreams. But right now, you are the most important person to me. If you found value of this show, get off your couch or whatever you do and start taking action. Maybe sign up for that marathon or whatever it is that you're going to do that will improve your life. Check us out on YouTube. It's on Peter Jumrukovsky. Check me out on Instagram. And the show is called I Love Success Podcast. If you didn't already know, subscribe and do all that shit. The other 
last thing I want to ask you is if you found value of this show, please share it with somebody that needs to hear this message. It could be a lover, it could be a hater, it doesn't really matter. Just go out there and share it with somebody that needs to hear this. Other than that, thank you guys and I'll see you next week. <music>